If you have it, you don't need it. If you need it, you don't have it. If you have it, you need more of it. If you have more of it, you don't need less of it. You need it to get it. And you certainly need it to get more of it. But if you don't already have any of it to begin with, you can't get any of it to get started, which means you really have no idea how to get it in the first place, do you? You can share it, sure. You can even stockpile it if you'd like. But you can't fake it. Wanting it, needing it, wishing for it. The point is, if you've never had any of it, ever, people just seem to know. Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirl as the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. I feel like we should have some noise I know, like balloons and yeah. party hats and people singing Old Lang Syne or something like that. And all that kind of good stuff. Because, as it turns out, this is the long-awaited, much-anticipated, first anniversary yes. show of Better in the Dark. So we make, made some it. No- make some noise out there, people. Come on. Up. Make some noise. <laughs> That's about the closest I can That's get to. That's about the closest <laughs> we're going to talk. Yeah. Our first episode of Better in the Dark was recorded on Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, of 2007, and this episode is going to be a little bit different from the others. Is our celebration that we've made it a year? Because I know a lot of podcasts. And now that you have been able to discover podcasts on your own, I'm sure you've discovered that there are some where people get really enthusiastic. They do the first four or five episodes. Then they get bored because nobody listens to them. Luckily, we've had plenty of listeners. We've had plenty of people emailing us and mentioning us on their podcast with much great love. And for that, we thank you all. What it is also was that we hung in Mm -hmm. there with it. We were committed to it from the start. Considering that we were only supposed to do six shows at the beginning... For somebody else, which is how Better in the right. Dark started, folks. You want um, to tell them that story, Tom? Because actually, in, you, yes. you knew the gentleman. Back in, I think it was January, maybe even earlier, maybe December of 2006, right. I was approached by a friend of a friend who was putting together a internet radio show through, was like 360 Live Radio or whatever. Yes. Yeah. It was a science fiction-based radio station, and he was interested in having some content that was geared towards science fiction, fantasy, and horror fans. Mostly he was playing soundtrack. Right. Soundtrack music. So he wanted original Although content. I also sent him some audio dramas that I had. Yeah. And he was looking for content. Originally he had contacted me about doing some audio dramas, which is something I'm still interested in. It's just I've not had the time. I still might. Sally Sparrow, Investigator of the Strange, still appeals to me greatly. Well, absolutely. You've talked about that many times with me. After we tried to get something off the ground with this audio drama with Dave Ellis who is still our winner for our last contest and is still going to join us one of these days for a Star Trek episode. Right. I decided that rather than hold him up while Dave and I were working at the logistics of this, and in fact, I may just put in, because I still have some promos, I think, from the show that we were going to do, which is going to be about The Flash. 
Started the day with a quick shower. Eight tools and pancakes, landed a double-sized omelet, and three cherry pop charts. Sped up to Iron Heights and shut down an escape attempt by Murmur before it got out of hand. Stopped a big belly for a dozen gutbusters and a pair of supergirls besides Mr. Pibbs. Sped off to Vegas to make a charity appearance at MGM Grand. Took a side trip to Wichita to build a quick fire break due to a drought. Made good on a promise to a friend and picked up a donor heart in Oklahoma City and got it to Keystone within five minutes. Would have been three, but there was a holdup in Blue Valley. Hey, call me sentimental. Stopped at Papa Chua's for a couple of plates of his extra spicy chili over spaghetti. Stopped a jumper just outside of Central City and took a nap before Linda's noonday broadcast. Ain't it cool? He does more in a blink of an eye than you've done in a lifetime. Twofold Productions presents The Flash, an ongoing radio drama coming soon to Sci-Fi Fan Radio. The Flash. Can you catch up? I, I, I remember you telling me about that, right. I okay. will see if I still have the promos on Lacey, because some of them are pretty goofy. Okay. Some of them are really good, too. Dave made a great Flash. I think I heard one yes. of them. Yes, it might have been the one with Dave doing... With Dave doing the Flash, Dave yeah. doing the Flash, where he's doing that, like, rapid fire. Yeah. In about a typical day in the Flash, just ending with, ain't it cool? Because we were having so much trouble, we were dragging our feet on this audio drama thing, I proposed providing some non-audio drama content. And one of the ideas I had was Better in the Dark. It wasn't called anything back then. It wasn't called anything back then. And I knew (laughs) that if I was going to do a bi-weekly show about science fiction, horror, and fantasy films, there was only one man that I needed in the second chair, and that was my main man, Mr. Derek Ferguson. The men cheer. The women faint. And the children wave little multicolored flags. (laughs) We love you, Better in the Dark. (laughs) Save us from Godzilla! <laughs> oh, God. We recorded the first batch of very primitive episodes on Super Bowl Sunday and sent them off to our client, who then proceeded to sit on them. And, and sit, sit on, on them. them. And, and sit, sit on, on them. them. <laughs> Just to be on the safe side, sit on them some more. <laughs> Jarek and I got very fed up. Suffice it to say, we're not going to bash the guy. He had his own thing going on. Let's put it this way. Me and Tom aren't guys that are content to just do creative right. things. And throw and it then, out there into a void. And, right. And then have people just sit on it and not do something with it. And we always talked about eventually providing the episodes as podcasts for fans anyway. Right. So I contacted a couple of my friends. The guy who got back to me with the most detail was our good friend Chris Johnson at the Amazing Spider Cast. Right. Who suggested Potomatic, and we set up shop there. Yeah, we just said, you know, if we're going to do it, what the hell, let's just go ahead and do it and produce the shows ourselves. And that's how Better in the exactly. Dark was born. We've been on Potomatic ever since. People have been slowly discovering us. Thanks a lot to a number of people who noticed us in the Potosphere and started mentioning us, which we're going to get to when we get to the, the email. In a few minutes. Okay. It's been a great ride, guys, and we've really been appreciative of your support. This is a little bit of a celebration. And what we decided we're going to do for this episode after we get through with the email, we got a lot of email. In fact, we're considering replacing the preview episode. The preview episodes, yeah. With a quarterly episode where we just look at the email for the last three months and answer it and just have fun with it. So this is an added inducement for you to send in emails because if right. we get enough of them, we're going to do this a quarterly thing where we're going to do nothing but just answer emails. And email. another thing you might want to do if you really are a fan of Better in the Dark, and we've said this many times, join the Yahoo mailing list. And where can they find that at, Thomas? They can find it at movies.yahoo.com 
backslash groups backslash better in the dark. That never feels amazing. We're going to look into maybe creating a board as well, because I know that there are some of you out there who are uncomfortable with joining mailing lists, particularly through Yahoo groups. We want to try to get as many ways to interact with, interact with and us. communicate as possible. As so possible. A message board is something. The worst comment that we get, we do listen to it. I read every piece of email personally. I read everything, and we do discuss what's brought up, and you do shape the course of the show. Yeah, true that, because Tom and I spend anywhere from a good four hours mm-hmm. a week just discussing what we're going to do, discussing your emails, discussing your suggestions. Don't think that you're just emailing us or you're going on the Yahoo group and saying stuff and we're not paying attention. Right. Trust me, we are. That out that of the way, mind. shall we get to the emails? Yes. Let's start with the first one. Okay. The first one is from Matt from Bayonne, New Jersey. Hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. What's up? Now, most of these emails, I should mention, we got a bulk from the Grindhouse episode. Yeah. Which is really encouraging because you and I talked about the fact that the Grindhouse might have been talked all out. We really sat down about that. We said, well, you know, it's been a while. Are people really interested in Grindhouse? Do they care anymore? Right. And we really, like, went back and forth on that. And because we love the movie so much, we said, what the hell, we'll do it anyway. Right. <laughs> Matt writes, hello, guys. I just want to say that I really enjoyed your last episode where you chatted about Death Proof and Planet Terror. It was interesting to hear your points of view, since the both of you have actual experience going to Grindhouse Theaters. Hmm. I'm only 25, so I've never had the pleasure, he says in quotation marks, mind you. (laughs) I agree with you guys about Planet Terror. It was a lot of fun, and though, like I said, I've never had the Grindhouse experience, judging from what I've heard Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez say about it, it seems like a typical Grindhouse movie. Death Proof, on the other hand, was shit in my opinion. I find it funny that I enjoy Planet Terror ten times more since I'm a much bigger fan of Tarantino. It's not like I felt that Death Proof was an okay film, but disappointing compared to QT's other work. I just hated it, in capital letters. Needless to say, it was a letdown big time, since I didn't just like, but loved all his other films. As a matter of fact, I loved that on the Pam Greer episode, both of you said such complimentary things about Jackie Brown, a film that I feel was sadly, sadly underrated. See, we like this guy already. Yeah, he's cool. (laughs) Usually, I love QT's dialogue, but in Death Proof, I found the dialogue boring and meaningless. The film's only saving grace is Kurt Russell, who is always fun to watch and is probably the only character who actually has some cool lines. I didn't find the car chase that exciting and didn't see what the fuss is about. Then again, I'm not easily wowed by car chases, like many film audiences. In my opinion, William Friedkin's probably the only director who still knows how to make those scenes interesting. Zoe Bell may be a good stunt woman, but she sucks as an actress. I do have to agree with you guys on the film's use of music, though. QT always seems to use great music in his films. I'm glad you guys cleared up that Grindhouse movies don't normally have that much dialogue. I kept thinking to myself that I've never seen a movie in a Grindhouse theater, but I'm pretty damn sure people didn't take all that much time in these movies. It also sucked that the second half of Death Proof didn't have any scratches on the film or any sort of wear and tear. It seemed to me like QT decided to totally abandon the Grindhouse concept halfway through. Anyway, I just felt like tossing my two cents about the Grindhouse films. Look forward to the next episode. You were an astoundingly astute <laughs> listener, Matt. I would but, like, I, that's why I, we love our listeners. I like you, Matt. <laughs> that's why we love our listeners. I like Matt. There is nothing in this email that we can say, you're wrong, you're stupid. I, Matt brought up some valid points, and we yeah, thank you very much for Yeah, very valid And most people have said the same thing to me. They said that the one thing that they don't like about Death Proof is the dialogue. They said there's too yeah. much talking. I can't agree with Matt about Zoe Bell. Which, do you know she's on Lost? 
I did not know that. Yes. So we, yeah, I, that's like probably the only thing I would disagree with violently with Matt. She was basically playing herself, so we don't know what kind of an what actress kind of she actress, is. Yeah. Her presence and her personality mm-hmm. really carry a lot of that film. Right. But as far as the car chase goes, I like the car chase because mm. it was done for real. It right. was done old school. I'm personally getting tired of seeing like the CGI car chases where these cars do all these acrobatics. You know what upsets me the most with these uh, modern day car chases is when the cars get on fire and it's obviously CGI fire. This was one that he did very traditional, very old school. When you see Zoe Bell sliding around on the hood of that car, that's really her on the hood of that car as it's going down the road at 100 miles an hour. Very perceptive points he made. In Matt, that. and we welcome you to chime in again if you disagree with me. Can't argue with you, Matt. Thank you. Now let's move on to another one. Mm-hmm. This is from Richard Palmer. Very short, but it's something that he addresses that you and I have been complaining about for a long time. Okay. I was enjoying your show when it ended mid-sentence about Freddie Rodriguez. I hope you repost. Keep up the good shows. I like your perspective. Rich. Now, I wrote back to him when I got this email, asking him if he was using the Insight Player. And this is something that we've heard a lot from people who use the player that is provided by Podomatic. Yeah. Which is that it drops off in mid-sentence, or it doesn't start up. What we recommend, strongly recommend to our fans, is not to use the Insight Player. Right. Recommendations to download it. The recommendation that we make to everybody, because I've got friends and family that tell me the same thing. And what we say is that we recommend that you download it and use Windows Media Player or whatever the player of your choices that you like to mm-hmm. use. In fact, when I do the quote-unquote test run for every episode, right. give you an idea of how the episodes are produced. After we record here, I take everything home to Casa de DJ <laughs> and edit it through Audacity on the Wonderbox, convert it to a WAV file before I go back to my house. Then after I edit it and add the intro and the outro... And convert it to MP3 file. I download it to my MP3 player and do nothing but listen to that episode for mm-hmm. the next hour or hour and a half to make sure everything is fine or that the levels are still good, that there's no really obnoxious edit breaks. The great thing about it is that now I have Wonderbox is that I can fix those breaks much quicker. Much faster. Back yeah. with the Marconi, if I had to correct something... Mm-hmm. I would have to make the correction and then reconvert it. And that would take three, four, sometimes as long as five hours. But now the editing process is much easier, so yeah. So guys, if you're having problems with the Insight Player, either download it and use Windows Media Player or Real Audio or whatever your computer's media player is, or download it to your iPod. And now we got another person who okay. addresses another problem we have to address. <laughs> and okay. we're now into the Reanimator episode. Well, we got a lot of response for this as well, and mm-hmm. thank you very much. So this is from Eliza Ward. E-L-I-S-A, Eliza. Okay. Or Elisa. Thank you. Uh, hey, guys, with my nitpicker off, I really enjoyed your podcast. Great stuff. It drove me absolutely bonkers to hear Tom keep calling Mr. Yuzna, Brian Yunza, though. There actually is a cough in there. I don't know what was going on. I guess the day that I recorded that I had my literary dyslexia on. Nah, it happened. It happened. It happens. And I apologize for that to Mr. Yuzna. That was who I meant. (laughs) No, but by all means, you know, bring it to our attention. Sometimes, and this is something I've noticed, that sometimes, even though I'll have written the thing correctly in my notes, Mm -hmm. my brain will process things reversed. Mm -hmm. That's what was going on that day. No disrespect meant to the gentleman, you know. Getting back to Ms. Ward. 
House of Reanimator is not in production, by the way. It doesn't even have a script yet. Right now, it's still just an idea. Okay, well, I would like to see it when it stops being an idea and becomes an actual film. The Pioneer DVD version of Bride is worth a look, even if only for all the special features, and the print is far superior. And the European Beyond Reanimator, again, has some fun extras. I'm a great fan of all three films, but obviously the original is the best one. I wish you would have mentioned the absolutely hilarious commentaries in both Rian and Bride DVDs, as they really make the films amazing as well. But the explanation for that is the version that Netflix sent me was a bare bones in the case of Bride, and in the case of Beyond Reanimator, all they had was admittedly an interesting documentary that was in Spanish. No fool. It was done for, uh, I guess, a Spanish television no station. No subtitles, anything. No, you could put on the subtitles, was, but it oh, was yeah, entirely yeah. in... That's how I figured out what was going on. Okay. <laughs> and that absolutely hideous music video I mentioned mm-hmm. that I actually played part of at the outro of that episode. Yeah. Good podcast. Thanks for the Jeff Combs mentions. He's also been on the 4400 lately, which sadly just got canceled. He's also on an episode of Cold Case that airs tonight. I write the blog on his official site. Thanks again, guys. A fun hour. Now, she wrote a follow-up, which basically reminded me to pronounce her name correctly, and apparently I misspelled Jeff Combs' name somewhere. Lisa, thank you very much. Thank you. Particularly because, now this is another reason why we love getting email, managed to fill in some information. Yeah, I mean, you don't know everything. Please, by all means, if you can fill in the gaps in our wherever, we drop the ball. I sincerely hope, though, that Mr. Yuzna gets... House of Reanimator going, because the idea of Jeffrey Combs and William H. Macy in the same film together is yeah. so appealing to yeah, me. Yeah, that's too good an idea to pass up. The zombie president. Oh, man. Yeah, that somebody's got to do something with that. Another reanimator thing from one of our good friends, Mr. Desmond Reddick of the Earth2.net. Okay. Desmond, by the way, said some very lovely things in an episode of Dread Media, which is his solo podcast covering horror fiction. So, by all means, check that out when you get a chance. Des writes, What kind of medicine are you involved in? If you said death, you'd be awesome. Hi, Tom and Derek. Des from Dread Media and Earth2.net, the show here. Just dropping a line to say that I was planning a reanimator-themed show, and now I don't have to. Thanks for saving me from watching Beyond Reanimator. The first two in the series are brilliant. R.A. itself is a classic, but its sequel, I think, is a campy but endearing follow-up worth the price alone for Gale's severed head with bat wings, which I think we had some fun with in that episode. Love the show as always. Keep on keeping on, but don't keep on doing shows that I'm planning to do, or I'll have to start a podcast called This Time I'm Better in the Dark, all about what Jews to Palookas are doing. That is all deaths. Well, you know, you could drop some bribe money in the mail. (laughs) Des, thank you very much. Drop some bribe money in the mail, and we'll send you the list of our upcoming shows. Des's show is, I think I've mentioned before, is really, really, really good. Mm. Particularly some of the interviews he gets with horror authors are amazing. As a matter of fact, I've downloaded some of the episodes on my computer, and I'm planning on loading them onto my MP3 player because... I have kind of a long drive mm-hmm. ahead of me like, sometime next week. So this will be a perfect time for me to listen right. to them. And now we get uh, another email from Mr. Joel Jenkins, our good friend. My man, Joel Jenkins. Who we have who, talked in the past about. I'm going to plug. Okay. That, that, you've seen this. Woo! That's his book. Devil Take the Hindmost. Devil Take the Hindmost from Pulpwork Press. It's an excellent book. It's vampires. It's got people running around shooting each other, blowing each other up. I recommend, well, my recommendation is on the back. There you go. But that's the name of it. Devil Take the Hindmost by Mm -hmm. Joel Jenkins. Available from Amazon.com. 
Joel, put the check in the mail. Okay. <laughs> well, Joel writes, Tom, Derek, you guys make it all sound so easy to host a podcast. <laughs> but let me tell you, I've sampled some of the other podcasts, but they're out there and listen to mindless drivel, long pauses, pointless rambling, uninteresting and flat-out boring patter. And I appreciate how you bring all the elements of Better in the Dark together to make an interesting, insightful, and fun podcast. Even your off-topic rambles are entertaining. You've told me that there are people that have talked to you that say that the off-topic stuff is their favorite stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've got friends and family of mine that listen to it, and they said, oh, well, they like that stuff the best when we just go off on, on stuff. <laughs> and I have heard people on my side who say that they love it when I just go bug fuck. Oh, yeah, know? yeah, yes. yeah. People just say, but what's wrong with him? <laughs> I say, he's fine. He's fine. I say, he does that all the time. I say, he's no big deal. Yes. And though Tom hasn't convinced me to actually go out and rent a copy of Reanimator, I did enjoy listening to a podcast about the Reanimator movies. Probably a lot more than I would have enjoyed actually watching the movies. Thank you, Joel. Although I would suggest at least watching the first one. Yeah, Joe, also, take it from me, I would, at least the first one, at least try it. If you don't like it, okay. Yes, it's excellent. It's, it's, head well, sh- it's well worth it. I would even go so far as to say it's probably one of like the 25 best horror films ever made. Yeah, I would definitely. I'm not sure it, where yeah. I would place it on that list, but, but it's definitely it, on that but list. But it'd be somewhere in, in the top 25. Absolutely. And finally, we have one more from okay. Christopher Hassler. Hi, Derek and Thomas. Hi, Chris. Just wanted to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. I commute to work in Boston every day over an hour one way, and you guys really do fill the time in the car. Today's commute was especially bad because there was a snowstorm going on, and the commute was twice as long because everyone was driving so slow. But luckily, I had a few episodes of your show on the iPod. You both work well together, and I think you both allow the listeners to feel like they are joining in on a hangout session with some good friends, which is basically what this is. This is it. I mean, that's what it is. If we wasn't doing this on a podcast, we'd be on the phone with each right. other doing it anyway. Can I ask where you guys are in Brooklyn? I am originally from Brooklyn, born and raised in the Bay Ridge section. I only recently moved to Massachusetts. I was just wondering if you guys are anywhere near my old haunts in Bay Ridge. Well, Derek is here. Okay, well, I was born in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and I grew up on Tompkins Avenue between right. Merlin Park, and I basically lived in Brooklyn most of my life, except for certain times when I lived in Kentucky and mm-hmm. when I lived upstate, but right now where I live at, I live in downtown Brooklyn area on Cumberland between Atlantic and Fulton Street, so that's mm-hmm. where I'm at. I've been following Brooklyn politics not that far from where, from where they're going to build the one of these days Bruce Ratner is going to build the Brooklyn Nets arena. Right, the new stadium of Flappish Avenue. Mm. As a matter of fact, I'm a hop, skip, and a jump from Flappish Avenue. I can walk yeah. into my house in five minutes. Which we have. Yeah, we have. Has for me, was actually born in Brooklyn General Hospital, lived most of my childhood on Norwood Avenue, just two blocks from Highland Park, the literal Highland Park, in the neighborhood of Highland Park. Outside of living in Long Island, I've lived in the general area most of my life. I've been in Queens, though, for long gouts of it. Woodhaven, I was literally three blocks away from the Brooklyn-Queens border. I used to always stay near the Brooklyn-Queens border for some reason. Then up in Corona... And finally, for the last, going on 20 years, God help us, right on that Brooklyn-Queens border on Myrtle Avenue and Cooper Avenue. I'm on the Queens side, but if I cross Myrtle Avenue, I'm in Brooklyn. After we do these things, I usually drive Tom mm-hmm. home. It takes me about a half hour, to, about 20 minutes to a half yeah. hour to drive. You know, so we're very close to each other, yeah, geographically speaking as well as 
emotionally. Okay. <laughs> May I ask which podcast you guys listen to? I need more podcasts to fill my iPod, and sometimes it's a chore to listen to the bad ones just to get to the occasional diamond in the rough. I picked up a few podcasts that you mentioned during the course of your shows that I have listened to so far. You guys turned me on to The Hollywood Saloon and Mondo Movie, but I usually can't write things down while I listen while driving. Okay, uh, well, let's talk about a couple. Yeah, Initiative Hollywood Saloon yeah, and Mondo Movie, which right, are great. And Hollywood Saloon goes on for like three, four hours, which is a great for long commute. Yeah, because you're really the guy to yeah. talk to when it comes to podcasts, because Tom has turned me on to a mm-hmm. lot of good ones like Hollywood Saloon and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so why don't you give them a quick short list of Another some one of you might favorites. like, if, if you like the kind of stuff that we do, unfortunately, this comes out once in a blue moon, is Stomp Tokyo Podcast. They have 51 available right now. They come out about once every month to two months with episodes. They're very good. They're from Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Each episode lasts about 40 minutes to an hour, and they just talk about various movies that they've seen with an interest primarily towards genre fiction. One that I know that we both love, sometimes it's film, but sometimes it's also comics, and sometimes it's other things, is, of course, our buddies at the Geek Savants. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're raunchy as all hell. I want to make it very, very clear, this is not for the faint of heart. So if you've got gentle shell-like ears, don't say we didn't warn you. They are one of the funniest podcasts I have ever heard in my life. Mm. They just crack me up. One that you can find... On Podomatic, it's our friend John S. Drew's yeah. Everything and Everything Anything Drew-shi. About Drewshi, yeah. which is at Which, if you like old-time radio dramas, mm-hmm. it's excellent, because in every episode he has, he always throws in right. like, one of these old-time radio mm-hmm. dramas that's always fun to listen to. Vintage commercials from the 70s and 60s. He's got like a whole bunch of stuff in there that's right. really fun to listen to. Another Podomatic podcast that I just discovered that is really, really good, and it lasts about an hour to two hours, is a show called Drunken Zombie, and that's at drunkenzombie.podomatic.com. I've heard, yeah, I've heard of that. Those are three guys, they're out of the Chicago area. They're kind of like us in that each episode is very focused on one subject, so the one I listen to is about the Universal Monsters, mm-hmm. and so they'll spend about a half an hour to an hour talking about upcoming horror movie news. And then get very intense into their subject. Some of the subjects they choose are really kind of like funny. They have an evil kids episode. (laughs) I've only heard the one episode, but they seem to be very entertaining as well. Okay. We've mentioned earlier in the podcast our good friends at Earth2.net. Yeah. Mike, who's the head of the Earth2.net collective, has said that his stated goal is that eventually he's going to have enough satellite podcasts that there will be a new podcast on that site every day. Presently, he's got three. He's got Earth2.net, the show, which is him and his fiance Jen, bullshitting usually about comics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're interested in comics, Christopher. They're a lot of fun, primarily because, of course, they're kind of like us, that frequently Mike and Jen will go off on these rambles about nothing. <laughs> you know? Mike is one of these people like me who gets really, really worked up about something, <laughs> and so he'll start ranting about people leaving puppies in their car, and that'll be 30... What? There's an episode, actually, Jen, who gets pissed off at this, where they're talking about they're coming back from the movie theater, and they find in the movie theater, a parking lot, this car with these puppies, and Jen gets all obsessed, and she's like, Mike explains, she wants to stand there and wait for the people to get out. Oh, yeah. Uh uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's really great. 
Mike also does a show with his friend James called World's Finest, which is an amazing podcast. Yeah, World's Finest. Where, if you're a fan of the DC Animated Universe, we were you were originally going to do an episode on the DC Animated Universe, but after hearing World's Finest, we said, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. We said, nah. It nah. Said, it said, no point. We're not even going to try We're not even going to try it. That's an act that yeah. you can't follow. Mike and James are covering and deeply reviewing every single DC Animated episode Ever. They're right now at the very beginnings of the Superman series. Right. And then they're going to go on from there to... I think they're doing it chronologically. I think the next one they're going to do is Gotham Knights, which is the WB Batman series. And then they're going to do Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. And they're planning on doing every single one through the last episode of Teen Titans. So if you're interested in that, that's a great podcast. Well, and finally, of course, we have our friend Dez's Dread Media. Mm-hmm. Which is, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's two hours. And it's about horror culture in general. Uh-huh. So one episode, he'll interview Joe Lansdale. The next episode, he'll have intensive review of Cloverfield. The episode after that, he'll talk about horror comics. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in horror culture in general, Des is a great place to start. And all three of those podcasts are at www.earth-2.net. So those are all great. And finally, of course, is the one that you keep accusing that I'm so in love with that you think I should marry, What's which that? is, of course, the guys at Cool Shy on the Tube. Oh, yeah, your boys. Yeah. My boys at the Cool Shy at the Joffrey Street Productions. They've changed their format a little bit. It used to be every week they'd have this massive two-hour-long, sometimes three-hour-long episode where they would review two films and then do viewer mail. And mm-hmm. They've since split it up into three smaller episodes. Each episode either reviews one film or covers movie news and feedback. And they're all really great. Those are some great movie-related podcasts for you. That'll get you started. If you're interested in other general podcasts, I can point you to Jawbone Radio, which is really great. If you're interested in cover songs, our boy Brian Ibbett at Coverville.com is amazing for that. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in acapella music, there's a great one called The Acapast. The thing is, of course, you're right, is that most of these podcasts are just, Oh, this is funny. Oh, I farted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some of them, you know, be honest, there's a lot of crap out there, but like Robert Heinlein famously said, 90% of everything is crap. But there are a lot of good ones out there. People that just have to spread the word around about them so that they get the notice and recognition that they deserve. That's really interesting, but it's much more of a general podcast, if you're for this. Check out the Evil Genius Chronicles. Dave Shusher, he's in South Carolina. And it's weird, because he'll sit there for about 40 minutes and just talk about stuff. One day he'll talk about meeting Michelle Malone. He'll, like, play some music, and it's just a a general... Kind of like a stream of consciousness. Yeah, a stream of consciousness thing, but he's very entertaining. That's another great one. We will will expect checks from each and every one of you in our mailboxes. (laughs) That's right. We still have to coordinate this with our buddy Dave Devonch over, over in the Bay Area. Right. But it does look like we have a crossover with the Greek savants coming very, very soon. The subject will be our top five desert island Yeah, discs. what movies we would take with us to if we were going to be stuck on a desert island. So that is going to be fun. And also check out Dave's brother has a rap group called Unified School District, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. But anyway, let's get back to Christopher's. There's still two more sentences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys can do a show entirely about... About the podcast you listen to and would recommend to your listeners also. One last suggestion. How about a Stallone show? I thought the recent Rambo movie would have warranted a Stallone retrospective. Anyway, thanks in advance for any help with choosing podcasts and thanks again for the show. Better in the dark. Best, Christopher Hassler, 
WGBH. Oh my gosh, WG. You remember Zoom? Yeah. That was the station that. that yeah. WGBH in Boston. Zoom, 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 Zoom. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Christopher, uh, we hope that this list that we've given you will help you out. What about a Stallone? Oh, I don't see why not. I mean, he certainly made enough of a contribution yeah. to... Uh, Maybe well, we should do just uh, a Rambo, like an episode like we did with the reanimator thing, which with just like the Rambo films. And just do the Rambo movies to start with, and then yeah. we do like the Rocky movies, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, because... Supposedly Hollywood Saloon is going to put it back on their feed. They did a great Rocky retrospective that they called a rough cut. Which they only had on the feed for like a week, and then they took it off. They said they're going to put it back on. But check out their podcast archives for that. Because I'll be honest with you, I saw not only Rocky Balboa, the last one he yep. did, but I also saw Rambo. I was surprised at how good both of them was. Mm-hmm. I really was. Rambo was really good. They didn't shy away from the fact that Rambo had gotten older, even though yes. Stallone, I don't know what kind of steroids he's right. taking, but I need to start taking them. As a story... Mm-hmm. It really hung together. It really was good. I liked it a lot. So, yeah, you know, maybe taking a look at the Rambo movies wouldn't be that's a bad idea. Yeah. Schedule. Well, All thank right. you for the suggestion, Christopher. We're going to get on that. So, so that's the email, right? That is the emails. All right, then. So now we're going to do a little bit for the rest of the hour. We decided we were going to do something a little different. Usually we talk about movies that exist. We decided to do a discussion of stuff that we wish would be made into movies. So we did it as a potpourri style, so we each chose three properties we would do if we were movie studio executives. <laughs> so welcome to Better in the Dark Studios, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Straight out of Brooklyn! Otherwise known as Miracle Studios. <laughs> it's a good picture, it's, it's a miracle. good picture, it's a miracle. <laughs> you want to start? Yeah, I can start. There's one movie that I know right off the bat, if somebody gave me $100 million and said, Derek, go ahead and make the movie that you want to make, it would doubtless be, without mm-hmm. any doubt in my mind, Doc Savage, uh-huh. the Man of Bronze, who is my favorite character of all time. As a matter of fact, he just had his 75th birthday. Have you he, been picking up the reprints they've been doing? I, as a matter of fact, I ordered some. It just came up on the DC Bass order. They did a book of the Doc Savage radio plays, which I really, really wanted, but it was just too expensive for me to add on yeah. to my DCBS shipment for the month. There is a site online that you can listen to those radio drops, because I listened to the Thousand-Headed right. Man one night. For those of you who don't know, and I don't know why you don't know, Doc Savage is known as... The Man of Bronze. Because when he grew up, he'd been... The Tropics somewhere, which gave his skin this bronze tone. Mm-hmm. He's Clark Savage Jr., who was raised by his eccentric father and a team of scientists to fight evil, mm-hmm. help people, and to do this, they trained him in just about every known science and martial right. arts from the time he was a baby. If you're familiar with the Alan Moore character of Tom Strong... Yeah, that's Doc Savage. Yeah, that's Doc Savage. In fact, there's so many. Or in the Authority, there's a character called Doc Brass. Right. Who is Doc, Doc Savage. Savage? There are so many characters in television and movies and comics that have been influenced in some way by Doc Savage. Superman stole his Fortress mm-hmm. of Solitude yeah. from Doc Savage. Doc had it first. Batman's utility belt was inspired because Doc, on his adventures, wore this vest. Right. It had all these little gadgets and gizmos on mm-hmm. it. He's. Assisted well, by yeah. the his, Furious Five, the, his five aides, who's a chemist, a lawyer, mm-hmm. archaeologist, and electrical expert, 
and uh, engineer, and they're all the experts in their field. But of course, Doc is better than right. them at that. They still come in handy, especially when there's a fight, because all well, of them love was, nothing more than getting a fight. What was the challenge of the unknown? But the Furious Five without Doc Savage. Without Doc Savage, exactly. The influences of this character pervades throughout popular fiction so much it can't be believed. And yet it's amazing he has never gone into any other, except for that one George Powell movie. Except for that depressingly awful George Powell movie. But at that time, George Powell was an old man. He was near the mm-hmm. end of his power. Right. He wasn't really able, and from what I understand in my research, was that the studio really took control of that movie because they wanted it to be more campy, right. and whereas he wanted it to be a little bit more serious. The movie was miscast, except for Ron Ely, him and Paul Gleason, who played Long Tom, right. apparently were the only guys that read the books because uh. they had their characters down. Doc has been in books, comics, radio plays, right. like we said, but he's never, never... And it really surprises me. And you would think that particularly during the syndication boom of the 80s or 90s, somebody would have picked this up. Exactly. Or that the Sci-Fi Channel, which is so intent on digging up every old corpse it can find and giving it a new coat of paint. Exactly. It just amazes me. Back when... Indiana Jones mm-hmm. first hit the theater and it was a big hit and everybody was making like their own type of right. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Didn't anybody say, oh, well, you know so Let's go back to the original source. Because even George Lucas and mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg have said that Doc Savage was a big right. influence on Indiana well, Jones. Well, you look at uh, production artwork. They had Jim Steranko do right. for Indiana Jones. He looks an awful lot like a dark-haired like, Doc Savage. Exactly. The, the, the old James Bama. Of course, I can't have... The perfect Doc Savage that I want because, frankly, he's too old. Well, yeah, you and I have discussed this in the past. The perfect Doc Savage would have been Rutger Hauer about 20, 30 years ago. Exactly, about the time he made Blade Runner. He is in Blade Runner. He was the spinning image of Doc Savage. It was eerie. I know at one time there was the rumored movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but come on, folks. Let's be for real. I look at Arnold Schwarzenegger and I don't see Doc. Mm -hmm. Which book would you adapt? Oh, well, The Man of Bronze, of Okay, so you would start from the very beginning. Start right from the origin story and you just take it from mm-hmm. there because that lays out his life's when, work. When would Sunlight come in? Now, see, that's interesting. We should mention who Sunlight is before we go further, shouldn't well, we? Well, John Sunlight is the only villain Doc faced more than twice. Usually by the end of every book, the villains were dead because yeah. Doc didn't play around. And what was so good about Doc was that he would never actually kill anybody Mm-hmm. But he would always set the villains up right. to be killed by their own gadgets. Like mm-hmm. he would tell them, listen, don't turn on that doomsday machine. And the <laughs> fellow would say, ah, you shut up, Doc Savage. You can't tell what. Doc would say, I'm telling you, yeah, don't, don't turn, turn it on. on. <laughs> and of course, Doc is rewired to yes. so that when he throws the switch, it blows him mm-hmm. up instead. But he would always do stuff like that. John Sunlight was the only villain to face Doc twice. He was as much of a genius as Doc Savage was, except he was evil. He was like his arch enemy, his Professor Moriarty. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you could bring him in in the first book, maybe, or if you had him like behind the scenes, but I think that the first movie should really be to establish Doc Mm -hmm. and set him up in his world and who his aides are and his cousin Patricia. I was about to bring up Patricia, actually. Yeah, Patricia Savage, his beautiful Mm -hmm. cousin, and where he gets his money from, because he gets his money from this secret valley, Mm -hmm. In South America, where these ancient Mayans are still living. And they've got this pool of gold Mm -hmm. that they're watching. And Doc's father... Hidalgo, right? Right, Hidalgo. Doc's father found this valley, and he Mm -hmm. saved the old king's life. So the king said, well, in return, I'll let you take as much gold as you want when you need it for your son. So I think that that would be the first one to start it. Because you've got to lay the foundation... For the rest of the movies. It, that's and if I, you're interested in reading these books, which are really 
wonderfully written. Well, if Kevin, you, Kenneth Robinson was a really good writer. It was actually Lester Dent. Let me explain something. Back in the 1930s and 40s, when the popes were big, most of these guys wrote under what they call a house name. Right. Lester Dent was the man who created Doc Savage, but the publisher wanted a house name. So there were other guys that wrote Doc Savage novels. And if you read them... Fritz Lieber write a couple? No, okay. I think you're thinking of, of the Tarzan. Okay. Yeah, Will Murray. He Will wrote, Murray. Well, yeah, that was during the 80s. He took yeah. unfinished novels and story ideas that they had discovered in dense papers. Right. This was right after he finished right. the William novels, and he spun them off into actual full-length Doc Savage novels. Mm-hmm. So, and Lester was also responsible for The Avenger, right? Yeah, he created The Avenger as well. Mm-hmm. E- even though Lester didn't felt that he would write better under his own name. Right. It just wasn't done back then. Mm-hmm. Now, just to show you how much Lester Dent, because he was a big influence on me. If any of you out there have read my Dylan. humble, my Dylan humble writings, mm-hmm. which you should have, I'm very Pope influenced. You see this notebook that's on my yes, desk here? Yes, I see here? that notebook. Okay, I just want you to verify. Interactivity, ladies people. and gentlemen. Now, I'm opening it up. Yes. I'm giving you something. Okay. I want you to tell the listeners what that is. The Lester Dent Pulp Paper Master Fiction Plot. Now, that's what I keep on my desk and what I refer to when I write my Dylan stories. There you go. I've read the, the first novel. Mm-hmm. It's obviously based on the Doc Savage yeah. template. Yeah. You know something? And I'm not ashamed to say it. He's a character that's... But then considering all the characters that I have written about who are unabashedly Simon Templar yeah. in some form or another, True. I can't throw a stone. That'd be my first dream project okay. for... Better in the Dark Studios, Doc Savage. So, but meanwhile, across the hall... Across the hall... <laughs> better in the Dark Studios. To my co-producer, Tom. Okay. First thing I'm going to talk about I hear is... screaming coming from behind the door. <laughs> telling my secretary, go kick on his door and tell All him to right. shut up. The first thing I would do is a film, which actually I've talked about in the past. I don't think I've talked about it in Better in the Dark before. Which is, I'd like to adapt the Burke novel by a man who has had an influence on me personally. Mm -hmm. I've had the privilege of knowing him, and he helped me cope with a lot of the darker aspects of my past, Mr. Andrew Vox, Mm. who has interesting a character, as interesting a a character as the characters he writes about. He is a lawyer who specializes in child protection. Mm -hmm. He is a very staunch advocate for child protection laws. Mm-hmm. He's very upfront about the fact that the books that he has written, starting with the A Bomb Made in Hell back in 1972, are ways to get the public to, to be aware of the need for child protection laws and to get them talking about subjects that they might not otherwise talk about. Mm-hmm. Now, this first novel, Bomb Made in Hell, which featured a character called Wesley, was never published because it was considered too brutal. Wow. Okay. Well, his novels are not... His novels are... Bru- even, and, yeah. yeah, his novels are not for the fate of the heart. Now, the ones that's published is a brutal enough. Yeah. I can imagine what this one must have been like. And in a way, it's funny, because Burke, with Silent Max and all, all and all the satellite characters, uh-huh. you could almost make an argument that Burke is kind of a Doc Savage yeah, analog as well. Yeah, a Pope-type character. We don't know a lot about Burke. We know that he was abused as a child. He was abused as a child, He right. has been in and out of prison for a long time. And he and acts he as a sort of... I wouldn't even call him a private detective. He's a sort of guardian angel mm-hmm. in New York, specializing in child abuse cases. Right. You're, you're having a problem, and you can find him, usually in that little 
Chinese restaurant yeah, he hangs Chinese out. Chinese hangs out, yeah. With, with Silent Max. With Silent Max. He's almost like seven feet tall. He's Mongolian. He's Mongolian. He's Mongolian, yeah. The mole lives in a junkyard and mm-hmm. is kind of like his queue, if you will. Throws together all kinds of stuff. They're out of very joke. brutal, very dark films. And they would have been perfect to have been made into the New Line Cinema style, low budget, dark action from the lines of Cop, the old James Woods film. Oh, yeah. Much in that same sort of tone. Supposedly... When I interviewed Andrew the first time, he told me that a studio had actually optioned Bluebell, which was the third film, which is about a ghost van. Mm-hmm. You know what a ghost van is, right? No. It's street slang mm-hmm. for an unmarked van that cruises underprivileged neighborhoods looking for unattached children mm. to kidnap and sell them to slavery. And Bluebell, much like every, every other Fox novel, and most of Burke novels are named after their female protagonists. Yeah, yeah. Who are invariably messed up in some way. Because <laughs> you have Strega. Look, yeah. Bluebell was optioned and was apparently turned into a vehicle for Brandon Lee. Drew Vox was horrified. He said something, that, I'm trying to remember if I can remember the exact quote, because apparently they cut this part out of the interview. I, went, I actually dug out the old <laughs> interview. He said, if you took a moron and took him up on top of a high building, and drew him off the high building, then picked him up again and put him in front of a typewriter, you could not have come up with a worse screenplay. He said that the emphasis was all on Kung Fu, and it totally got rid of the subtext. Right. He has pretty much said that he would never allow the Burke novels to be done unless he trusts the person who did them. Ah, gotcha. Which is a pity, because these novels are so hardcore, and I would love to see someone with a dark sensibility mm-hmm. somebody like david fincher like david oh god fincher oh that would be scary yeah david that would fincher. be genuinely yeah. scary they're all still in print i think almost all of them and there are quite a few check you could probably check them out at the library or go to the local barnes and nobles and borders they're very easy read the language is very plain many of the chapters are mm-hmm. paragraph two paragraphs a page in length the flow is better usually i find with these things and they're just easier to get through because mm-hmm. I'm one of these people that I, if I start a chapter, I have to finish it. Yeah, me too. I try not to mm-hmm. stop reading in the middle of a chapter. I go to right. the end of the chapter, and then I say, okay, right. then, then I can put the book down. Exactly I mean, I would definitely start with Flood, because the, the one that is closest to what a mainstream detective novel would be like. Because mm-hmm. we actually see in, in Flood, he's actually working out of an office. Mm-hmm. All this setup is kind of abandoned, and it becomes Burke is hanging out, almost like the Matt Scudder novels. Okay. People find Matt Scudder wherever they can. And wherever they, they can, yeah, ride. Because it is closer to what people expect an action movie or a detective movie to be like. Mm-hmm. And once we get them used to the character and get them used to the brutality and the tone, then I can move them into Strega, and then I can, you can move them into Bluebell and Sacrifice okay. and all the others. But that one, I think, is where I would go first. Cool. Meanwhile, we go back across the hallway... <laughs> Where's my Bialy? Where's your Bialy? <laughs> this latte doesn't have enough foam on it. <laughs> well, you know me, I'm pretty much a traditionalist. Right. And in keeping in tone with the Pope character, I think it's time for a, another remake of Flash Gordon. We are not one. counting that abomination that was on the Sci-Fi channel. I don't even acknowledge that exists. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, there wasn't anything after the Dino De Laurentiis. Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart is Flash Flash Gordon. Yeah, I can't think anybody better. That's it. I can't imagine why anybody hasn't thought to remake Flash unless they're just scared of Star Wars, which has been dominating the movie screens 
What I don't understand about that thing that the Sci-Fi Channel put on yeah. is it has nothing in common with Flash Gordon. Yeah, absolutely nothing to do at all with Flash Gordon. They just took the name and slapped it on some crap that somebody regurgitated. Right. Whatever they thought Flash Gordon was. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious to me they never got a stack of the Alex Raymond originals mm-hmm. and read those. Or even saw the Dino De Laurentiis right. movie, which was closer in tone to mm-hmm. Flash Gordon than the TV show. Right. As much as people talk about, oh, that corny old thing. Well, that corny old thing had a lot of fun and right. had a lot of charm. And it was faithful to the spirit mm-hmm. of the character. Right. Much more than the TV show. But you know what I think? I think it is that people, they don't even know who Alex Raymond is anymore. Right. They don't know what a genius this man was and how he refined the whole space opera genre. We've got stuff like Buck Rogers should be reviving now. Yeah. They should bring back Buck Rogers. John Carter, we've been waiting 30 years for well, uh, supposedly John Carter Mars. I'm trying to remember who we've got. Somebody is actually working on that right now. Wasn't Robert Rodriguez the last it might have been, Yeah, Rob, might have been Rodriguez. Yeah. Rodriguez actually has that on his plate. Because I remember 30 years ago when Bruce Campbell was supposed to be playing John Carter. I think I can think of a Dale Arden. Who? Oh, but you want Christian Bell? I want Christian Bell and everything. Christian Bell and everything, man. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I definitely could see that. Her and Aaron Eckhart. That would be wonderful. Who would we get for Doctor Zarkov? That would be really weird casting, though. What? The first thing that popped in my head is Steve Buscemi. I can see that. <laughs> Usually, Doctor Zarkov is this big bearded guy. Yeah. So play against type and get right. a little skinny, wild-eyed, crazy yeah. guy to do it. Ming the Merciless. But that's the big question. Ming say, the Mer- who yeah, get for Ming, Ming the Merciless. Because Max Cedar, he was As, the last one. Right. He was a, he was a great. He owned that. He yeah, owned. he did. He ruled that movie. I think maybe with Star Wars being the preeminent space opera that has dominated the uh, film, because most of our space operas have been on the small screen. Right. Farscape, Firefly. That's what it's been. But I think it's time for a, a huge. Big budget. Let's and especially now that we the have the virtual studio technology. Exactly. You know what you could do? You could even make it look like actual panels from the Alex Raymond Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Remember those huge Sunday morning where they had oh. the big, yeah. You, oh. could, you could actually make it look like panels of the comic strip. Oh, sure, he's still alive and kicking, definitely. Christopher Lee is my... He doesn't have to do anything much, but I'm going to remember quickly, was more of a guy who just sat there and went... Exactly. You suck, you suck, you over there suck the boats. Exactly, Ming didn't really do anything much. He sat around and said... Imagine that voice. You know, and he said, well, Flash, I sentenced you to death. Even Charles Middleton, he didn't... Yeah. was a definitive me. Bring it on, that's what I would do. Okay. I'd do Flash Gordon. So, we're back to me, huh? Yeah. I'm still staying in, I guess, the literary world for the time being. Although we're moving back to the 60s. That's your problem. Moving back to the 60s. Uh You and I are both big fans of 60s spy culture. Yeah. In fact, after we're done with this episode, we're going to start, finally, our massive James Bond overview. All right. And one spy from that era that Prize never got made into was Evan Michael Tanner. Ah. Lawrence Block's first series character... The Man Who Never Sleeps. The Man Who Never Sleeps. I don't think they're in print anymore. Really? I think they briefly reprinted them in the 90s to tie in with the new Tanner novel that Block wrote called Tanner on Ice. Yeah. Which, by all accounts, is pretty dire and should be avoided. Mm. The basic premise is that, well, this is the 60s, so this makes a little more sense. Uh, Evan Michael Tanner is a soldier in the Korean War who gets a face full of shrapnel. One of the pieces of shrapnel embeds itself in his brain and destroys the part of the brain that governs sleep. Mm -hmm. So he is incapable of falling asleep. Rather than just go dribbling mad like most of us would, (laughs) 
He goes out, he learns secret yoga techniques that allow him to slow his body rhythms enough that it's close enough to sleep that he gets rested. Yeah. And amuses himself by, A, joining every single lost cause he can find, Mm -hmm. and B, reading every freaking book he can get his hands on. Because in his apartment, it's described as having, like, stacks Mm -hmm. and stacks of books that he stays up all night reading. And in the novel, The Thief That Couldn't Sleep, this is, like, a motif of the the Tanner novels, is that he's very much like Flint, in that he doesn't want to do what what he's been asked to do until he gets a personal stake in the matter. He's going to help a friend and smuggle something out of Turkey. And during the course of it, he runs into a person who gives him something, saying, oh, give this to the chief. And he doesn't know who the chief is. Goes through all these wacky adventures, mm-hmm. usually using... One of the, the, the other motifs is, of course, because he belongs to all these weird organizations. He's non-compassmentous in most places in the world. Mm-hmm. If he's in Turkey, he belongs to the, the separatists. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> he's in the Deep South. Right. He, he belongs to the, the Church of the Revolving Door Tabernacle. Right. When he actually ends up smuggling this inheritance out for his friend, mm-hmm. he is approached by this man who turns out to actually be the chief of a secret agency mm-hmm. in New York who has assumed all along that Tanner is one of his agents because he doesn't like knowing who his agents are. Right. This is, if you remember that, he's like, I send people out to recruit, but I don't... Look I don't meet anybody, yeah. I don't meet anybody, except for those people who are my prime recruiters. And so he becomes gang-pressed into service to the secret agency, and the rest of the novels, they're done totally tongue-in-cheek. This is very much in the Austin Powers style of high comedy. They are absolutely amazingly hilarious. <laughs> One that called Tanner's Tiger, which is set during the 67 World's Fair in Montreal, which you would think would be the most dated thing in the world. It still holds up as a grand farce. Oh, okay. Just like with Rucker Howard, the person I would have chosen to play Tanner is much, much too old now. Because back when he was young and thin and deadpan, Chevy Chase would have been an amazing oh, Tanner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tanner is a character much like Fletch mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and that he's got that kind of deadpan humor. So I could see that. Do you like the guy that they call him the new Chevy Chase now, Will Ferrell? Do you like oh, him? Oh, God, no! You don't like him? Oh, God. I'm just asking because I don't care much for Will Ferrell. I can't stand I, I don't The only person I hate more is Chris Kattan. Well, I could cheerfully kill Chris Kattan and not lose a night's sleep. For some reason, the name that comes to my mind is Lee Shriver. You I like know. Lee Although, Shriver. Can you believe Lee Shriver? They just cast him as Sabretooth? What? That's exactly what I thought. What the fuck? He's Sabretooth in the Wolverine Origins film. Uh-huh. They've even got pictures of him in uh, makeup and that. You know point. what I cast him in? You know, what? this isn't my third choice, but I'm just mm-hmm. throwing it out there as a little bonus. Married with Children in the go. movie. <laughs> and he beat my Al Bundy. <laughs> Kristen Johnson, right? Kristen Johnson, yeah. That, 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 that big, big strapping yeah. blonde. That'd be my that, man. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> healthy blonde girl. That healthy blonde girl. Yeah. I'd love to make Mary with you. Okay. I've got a casting session coming up, so why don't you tell me what you got next? There's this book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go into the literary mode for a while there. Written by Donald Westlake that I'm absolutely in love with called Dancing Aztec. You remember stuff like Silver Street, those type of goofy type of action comedies? Right. The plot of the story is simple. There's this plot to smuggle this precious gold idol from a South American country. So in order to do that, this black organization Mm -hmm. is conscripted because they're having this award ceremony. And 11 duplicates of this idol is made. They're shipped there, and during this banquet, they're given out to 12 
various people. One is a black revolutionary. One is a middle-aged slacker who's still living at home with his parents. Mm -hmm. Another one is a drug addict who's scamming. It's a whole hodgepodge of different characters that all live in New York. Now, they find out that one of these idols is an actual genuine gold idol and the rest are fake. So now they're spending their time Mm -hmm. running all over New York, scamming each other, scheming, breaking into each other's houses, getting into car chases, carrying on cranky, trying to find this one genuine idol. And in true Donald Westlake fashion, as you know, he writes very funny right. books. It's got a lot of action in it, but it's also very funny mm-hmm. because you got one character, the main character, he lives at home with his parents. If I remember right, he's forced to carry the people he breaks into their houses. One by one, he has to take them back at home. And right. eventually his mother like builds a family around him. Actually, probably the best way for me to describe Dancing Aztecs is to just read from... Mm-hmm. The actual book itself, and okay. just a short description. Spinning and tumbling in its wake come the searchers, led by Jerry Manelli, young hustler on the move, struggling against Wall Street financiers, New Jersey union thugs, Manhattan aristocrats, college mm-hmm. professors at PR men, liberated women and unliberated wives, tough guys and conmen and sharpshooters of every kind. That's basically the cast of this book. you got, like, mafia guys. You've got City Hall people. It's a real hodgepodge of characters, and Donald Wesley handles it very well. It's very funny, and I think it'd make a very good action comedy, which is a genre that I love mm-hmm. myself. I love action comedies, especially when they're well-made, such as Silver, Silver Street. Street. Yeah, which to me is the best example mm-hmm. of that type of thing. That's what I would do. And I tend to pick these kind of things that are, are like a little bit offbeat. Okay. You know? Which is what I think that people want to see, they want to see different things. Right. They don't want to see the same old thing all the time. They don't want to see another remake of Prom Night. And Tom, you and I have talked well, about... Well, you and I, yeah, earlier this week, yeah. I read you out the list of remakes that are coming yeah. in our genres. There is such a wealth of stuff out there that mm. hasn't been made yet. Right. Why not go ahead and take something that nobody's seen before and go ahead and... I mean, it's it. encouraging hearing that, for example, something that almost made my list, which mm. was the Mongo books... Somebody's actually picked him up finally. Somebody's going to do these things. Peter Dinklage, uh, from my understanding, who, of course, is mm-hmm. a perfect example, he's bought the rights to them. And yeah. he's very interested in doing it. So hopefully, The Mongo books are so fucking incredible, and I can't believe that they're once again out of print. George C. Chesbro. That's the name of the author, folks. Track these things down. If you can beg, borrow, or steal any of his books... They're, they're mysteries, they're spy thrillers, they're horror novels. All in one. Oh, man, these things are... I wish I could write something as brilliant as these And you know things. something? <laughs> Let me put up my authoritative one. I really get pissed off when I tell people about these books. The main character, Mongo, is a dwarf. He started out as a circus performer, mm-hmm. and that's how he put himself through college. He becomes a criminologist, mm-hmm. so he's a criminologist. He also teaches. Now, in I, NYU, which is NYU. where George C. Chesbro used to teach. Right. Now, when I tell people this, they turn up their nose and say, it's a dwarf. I don't want to read about a dwarf. Get past your preconceptions, right. please. Which is a lot. And the funny thing is, is that after the first couple of pages, you forget about you it. You forget he's a dwarf, yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless one of the other characters in the Right, book. mentions it. But a lot of the characters that are in the book, they really don't even bring it up yeah. themselves. They don't, except for the bad guys, who tend to underestimate him because right. of his dwarfism. But he's a martial arts master. Mm-hmm. And being a former circus acrobat, he's a contortionist, right. mm-hmm. so he can get out of the... If, if you're a comic book fan, there's this whole universe. Yeah. Because all the Chesbro novels are interconnected in some way. All of his characters are interconnected. Right. So, 
so you have like his other character he created, which was a Vietnam vet who has suffers from lucid dreaming called Vale Kendry. Right. Who, who walks in and out of the Mongo novels. Right. Who actually trains Mongo. Yes. And is, he's his sensei. Yeah. Yeah, you've got Chant, the quote unquote, they refer to him as a industrial ninja or something to that effect. Yeah. He's not so great. He's not that. He's not so great, but yeah. since it's Chesbro, bad Chesbro is still better right. than. Most other people at the top of their game trust me. But on yeah, and seek out the the Mongo novels. And I think it's criminal that more people aren't reading this guy. And he's been yeah. writing for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not like he just started. Because I was reading the Mongo novels back in the early eighties. Yeah. A lot of the Tom Piccarelli crime novels. Most people think of Tom Piccarelli as a horror writer, mm-hmm. but he's written these excellent blackest pitch. Mm-hmm hard-boiled detective novels. Mm-hmm. And they would be great films. You and I have talked about Ed Gorman in the past. Criminal! Downright criminal that Ed Gorman is not appreciated more. Robert R. McCann, who wrote the best 1950s <laughs> horror right? sci-fi movie, get the book Stinger. The greatest thing about McCammon that I've, I've always thought is that he walked away. Yeah. He walked away, he wrote this epic Civil War novel... Mm-hmm. After his last horror novel, and then retired. He retired. He walked away. Good as his books were, they weren't selling. Have you ever read Gone South? I read The Wolf's Hour. Right. Now, this, there's a really adaptable book right there. It's a spy novel set in World War II with Nazis, and the spy is a werewolf. You ever read that? Boy's Life, I have read. You haven't read I've Gone South? I've not read Gone South yet. Go ahead, take it with you. Okay, take it with you and read it. Stinger mm-hmm. is is so awesome. Right. <laughs> and, and also the Wolf's Hour. The Wolf's Hour, if they put that on film, people would go nuts yeah. for it. The, another, another writer, although thankfully, finally somebody's discovering him. He's getting optioned again, is Jack Ketchum. He was part of that, the quote-unquote, the Splat Pack. Yeah. Back in the old days. Like uh, John Lansdale. John Lansdale, yeah. Skip Inspector. Yeah. Oh, you're at the bridge. Mm. Skip Inspector's last collaborative novel. No. Uh, that would be a great movie. It would be bleak as all hell. One of the things I love about it is that the very first page, the writers say, this is going to end badly. <laughs> there is no hope. They let you know right up front. Right. There is no hope for any of the people you're about to meet and get cozy with. Mm-hmm. Just be ready. The way that they write it, you still have hope on that last page that the last two people in the book are going to survive, which, they, of course, they don't. I'll have to get that. And there's I, the Repairman Jack now. Oh, God! The amount of stuff out there that is prime material. I'm just trying to think, who would be a good Repairman Jack? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I have one last pick, don't I? Yeah. We're going to move away from novels for the time being. We're going to talk about a comic book. Okay. A comic book you and I have a great deal of love and affection for. Which one is that? Black Hawk. Yeah, well, Blackhawk. You've been talking about. You I've been wanting to see a Blackhawk movie. At one point, it looked like it was going to happen because Dan Aykroyd, back in the very early '80s, optioned the rights. Yeah, he was going to do, do it with uh, Spielberg, right? That, Spielberg is a big Blackhawk mm-hmm. fan. Well, the character has been kind of out of circulation for a while. Every once in a while, DC brings mm-hmm. it back, I think, just to preserve the copyright. Right, because of course. I think every couple of years, what, they have... Well, that's why you had Lady Blackhawk showing up in Birds of Prey recently. Right, exactly. She was their pilot. There, she was uh, this character that was added in the, I think it was like the 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. Original version, though. I would talk about the, the original oh, version, the, the Eisner-created yeah. version, which is this Polish refugee who decides, even though Poland had not officially entered World War II at the time, 
decides to go and create a squadron composed of people whose uh, lands have been subjugated by the Nazis Mm -hmm. called the Blackhawk Squadron. Right. So you had you had Blackhawk himself. You had Blackhawk. You had uh, uh, Frenchy Duval, who was from from France. France. You, had you had Olaf. Olaf, who was from Sweden. Chuck, who was Chuck the Amer- was American. American. You had Chop Chop. Stanislaus. Stanislaus. Cool. First off, it's like they had the cool planes. They built, oh, designed yeah. their own planes. They, is there anything cooler than that? <laughs> Guys who designed and, and build their own. They planes. designed their own planes. They operate out of a secret island in the South Pacific mm-hmm. called. Black Hawk Island. Island. And they wore the coolest outfits. Yes. They just wore simple, plain black outfits. Black leather outfits. Yeah. You know, the black leather aviator jacket. With the, the flat. Hat. Yeah. yeah. With Except that. for Black Hawk, who, of course, yes. had this big, the big yellow. red and yellow. And, of oh. course, when they go into battle, of course, they have the hawk cry. Which is one of the coolest symbols. I found that people that don't even read comics, they look, oh, say, oh, yeah, that's the Blackhawks. Right. It's like Superman's S and, yeah. and Batman's mm-hmm. Bat. You know? And the Blackhawks never got much of a break. They did make a movie serial. As we mentioned in an earlier episode, it was the last movie serial ever produced. Yeah. Uh, that was in 1951. Starring Kirk, Kirk Allen, Allen, I believe, yeah. who also was Superman. Exactly. Yeah. But they've never been in any other media. I think part of it is that they went through some embarrassing times during the 50s and 60s. Well, that's when they tried to turn them in. Into well, superheroes. first they turned them into super, into super spies. Right. Because they were taking orders from the man from George. Yeah. And after that oh. didn't work, they became the Super Black Hawk with characters such as The Listener. Yeah, Stan was The Listener. Stan Chop, was, Chop Chop was Mr. Hands. Mr. Hands, yes. Yeah. Frenchie was Monsieur Machine. Monsieur Machine. Was it Chuck was the Golden Guardian? Stan or Olaf, one of them, one of the bigger uh, And one of the characters was the Leaper. The Leaper, right. I could jump really, really high. I think it was canceled shortly after that. Yes, it was canceled (laughs) within six months. Yeah. And the funny thing is they went back the last issues style of doing old adventure things, but it was too late. The damage had been done. And then they revived them again in the 70s with Mark Evaner and Howard Chaikin. Mm-hmm. Only they gave him these hideous green and red outfits. Remember those outfits? I remember. It seems like DC Comics cannot leave their classic non-powered heroes alone without once giving them hideous... Remember those awful yellow and red sleeveless jumpsuits that the Challenger did? Yeah. Oh my god, those things were hard. Well, what was wrong with the jumpsuits? The they purple were, jumpsuits with the white stripes. Well, they were functional. Mm-hmm. They were sensible. They covered them up, especially with the type of work that they right. did. You know, you would say, duh, you know, if I'm going around mountains and jungles and everything like that, you want as much as your body covered up as possible. But if you also remember, that was during the time when, uh, was it Red, was turned into a monster and was killed? Yeah, yeah, Red was killed and his brother, and was replaced by Tino. Tino Mannery, his brother. His, his brother. His rock star brother. Obviously based on Dino Martin. Yeah, Dino yeah, Martin. Yeah. Obviously based on the. Oh, man, that was a horrible. That was, of course, during the time when we had the League of Challenger haters. They don't know what to do with their non powered heroes. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I would do this as a strict period piece in the 40s. Yeah. I would bring the War Wheels in. Mm-hmm. I love the War Wheels. And who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, yeah. And you would figure this would be the right time mm-hmm. for. Something like that. I mean, I don't understand why they would, you know, but then again, you know, I have no idea what's in the minds of they would rather put their money into making a remake of whatever, Prom Night. Or prom whatever. Night, or uh, Sisters, or The Evil Dead, for God's sakes, they're remaking. 
As if that needs to be remade. Right. Platinum Dunes have finally decided that they, they were going to go around to, Plat- to Nightmare on Elm Street. But anyway, no, I'd do it, and I could tell you who I would cast, although, once again, I worry he might be getting a bit long in the tooth, but the person I would have cast when I first dreamt of this mm-hmm. is, of course, your favorite and mine, Mr. Dennis Quaid. Absolutely. As Blackhawk. Yeah. Jean Renault. I can see it. I yes, Jean Renault is Frenchy. Mm-hmm. I think it would be just a magnificent little film. The War Wheels. If you've seen the Justice League episode, you've seen The War Wheels. You've seen The War Wheels, yeah. Those mad... Oh, man. Because that was like the main thing Mm -hmm. that the Black Hole... Every once in a while they would bring back the The War Wheels. The War Wheels. Was War Wheels, and the other thing that they would always bring back is Killer Shark. Killer Shark. The the German U-boat captain who had a fetish for sharks and would dress (laughs) up like them. (laughs) That's the only way I can describe it, man. Actually, you know who else I would bring in, although this was a character primarily from the Golden Age. I don't think that she ever appeared in the the modern incarnation of the characters. What's that? Do you remember the character Mercy? Hmm, vaguely. Mercy, she was a Eurasian mercenary who... She was basically playing the dragon lady to... The dragon lady, Black right. Blackhawks, right. Steve Kane. Yeah, yeah, okay. And she was one of these people who's like, you know, when she showed up one time, she was, could work with them. The other time, she might be working against them. Mm-hmm. I think she would probably be an important element in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to give it a little... Because she's better than frickin' Lady Blackhawk. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I, in fact, I still own some of the Super Blackhawk issues, but I own some of the, the issues from before then, when mm-hmm. they were fighting supervillains like the Fisherman and his hover dinghy. What was that thing like back in the '80s where they did it, where they did like uh, Blackhawk as like a uh, Cold War period? Piece? That was Howard Chaykin. Yeah, Howard Chaykin. See, I love Howard Chaykin, as you know. Howard Chaykin. Uh, that's another thing that I would love to see mm-hmm. from the comics. I'd love to see American flag. American flag, which I believe was optioned mm-hmm. at one time, and they just let that. You'd be surprised how many of these things oh, yeah. do get optioned, but nothing is ever done with them. He was a really good horror writer from the '80s, who ended up retiring. Gere Cunningham. I'm not surprised you don't remember him. Yeah, okay. Gere Cunningham wrote one novel, a whole slew of short stories. He was really, really talented, but he stopped writing fiction because. What he ended up doing was living off of options. He would write up treatments for <laughs> movies and sell them to mm-hmm. studios. They would never get made, mm-hmm. but he would live off the money. Only one film that he ever came up with a screen story for made it to the screen. The Last of the Finest with Brian Keith. Never heard of it. Brian Keith, Bill Paxton, and uh, there were a couple other... Uh, play a family of cops uh-huh. who decide to rob a bank. Hmm. But that's a sweet way to make it yeah. work. Why didn't I think of that? Hey, I don't know. You, you don't even have to write anything. Just write up the treatment. And, and of course, it. the other big DC thing that I would love to see, mm-hmm. Jonah Hex. Hex would have been, particularly if you, you do stuff from the Joe R. Lansdale trilogy of uh, mm. weird stories. Yeah, when he started the when he was fighting the, the zombies. Worm, the worms and yeah. the zombies and stuff like that. Riders yeah. of the Worms and yeah. such. yeah. And, of course, Green Lantern, which might get made still. The guy I would want to play, uh, my favorite uh, Green Lantern, Guy Gardner, mm-hmm. is getting on in years. Who's that? Mr. Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary would have oh, been... he would have been a perfect... Because the thing about Dennis Leary is, yeah, he's a comedian who talks tough, but you get the feeling he could back it he up. He could back... Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I wouldn't mess with him. I can just imagine him as Guy Gardner going, you know what, pal? I got the ring. I, got the I think ring. I'm coming in, and you can't stop me, okay? <laughs> Fuck you! But I know at one time they had plans to do Green Lantern, but it was going to be a comedy with Jack Black. Oh, God! That's long gone. Oh, okay. That is long okay. gone, thank yeah. goodness. As yeah. much as I like Jack Black as an actor, no. 
Unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard one time that Eddie Murphy was going to do mm-hmm. as a comedy. It seemed like they, every time I heard about Green Lantern, they was always going to do it as, as a, a comedy. comedy. Well, remember at one time, Batman was going to be a comedy with Bill Murray playing the title role. I remember. I guess that's uh, Six and a bunch of other... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a whole bunch of other ones that you guys right. got on the side. So, I guess it's time to bring this particular okay. episode to a close. The first anniversary episode. Yay! We made it a year. So, folks, if you want to send us email, hate mail, fan mail, fish mail, <laughs> cat mail, you can do what all the people did at the top of this show did and send us a little note at better in the dark. That's better the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment on our Podomatic page, which is betterthedark.podomatic.com. You can join our uh, Yahoo mailing at movies.yahoo.com backslash group backslash better in the dark. And I'm sure there are other possible ways. Hopefully we'll get that the message, message board. board. Yeah, we we'll can get that go. message board. Because I realize that there are people who will be much more comfortable yeah. posting on that board. They're than going through the process. A lot of people don't want to go through so the I'm probably gonna, Which I can understand. I'm probably going to you know, ask around, see who what people would recommend. I know that a lot of people get their boards through Comic Geek Speak, but I'd rather that not happen. Okay. I'm not too fond of them, guys. Uh, Until next time, as we begin year two. Year two. And we're just hoping that the second year will be better than the first one. Even though the first one was spectacular, yes. we are always hoping, we always looking to improve and build on what we've done and, before. You know, and let us know, guys. Because like, we've talked about various things we might want to do. Like, maybe we might want to, we might want to interview somebody. We've talked about, we've talked about a couple of, yeah, we've talked about a couple of people maybe trying to contact... Uh, Tim Thomerson, see if he'd like to, to talk to us for a little bit. Yeah. Tell us what you want to hear. As you heard earlier today when we said, okay, let's do Rambo, we do listen. And yeah, we're gonna... we listen. Yeah, why not? It's not costing us anything to do Right, this. exactly. <laughs> and it makes fans feel good when they're like, hey, that's my episode. It keeps us from having to think right, of Right, exactly. <laughs> when we take suggestions. So until next time. He's Thomas DJ. And he's Derek Ferguson. And whatever you do, no matter where you go, what film you see, go Go see see that that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to the crew at The Geek Savants, The Drunken Zombie Podcast, The Joffrey Street Production Group, Dave Shusher of The Evil Genius Chronicles, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.group.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark doesn't go to sleep, it drinks coffee instead. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, please remember that making fun of the dwarf criminology professor is a very, very, very bad idea. Gino.